You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 158 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. How are you? How has 2018 treated you so far? Good, I hope. As for me, things are moving along great. Nothing out of the ordinary. Not yet, anyway. Who knows? Uh, For you regular listeners by now, you know I have a Patreon page. And um, I need to give a shout out to Patreon number 7 and 8, Nina and Tobias. Thanks for your support. It means a lot. And unlike you other listeners, Nina and Tobias will uh, be able to listen to a lot of other content apart from this episode you're hearing right now. Do you want to support this podcast? Yeah! Go to patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist. If you become a patron, you'll be able to hear these episodes before everyone else, as well as access exclusive content. Join us at the round table of the Divine Mystery. Wow! (laughs) Yes, that was my daughter. She is now working full-time on the podcast as a manager. Need to have one now when I've reached the big leagues. Uh, I hope you understand. Uh, I can't do this uh, solo anymore. Enough uh, blabbering. In this episode, my guest is an old friend, Dustin Selva. And I met him in Peru way back in 2010 when I had my first encounter with ayahuasca. Since then, our lives have taken very different paths, and in Dustin's case, he has become an apprentice of the flute. So, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me, Alex. So, can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are and and what your main interests are? Uh, my name is Dustin Selva, and my main interests currently are making and playing the Native American style flute. Um, and other than that, it's it's um, just trying to focus on keeping myself healthy and clear as I do that, because the clearer I am, the better the flute uh, turns out in the end. So. That's where I've been for about the last couple of years. So what's the difference between a Native American flute and, and just a flute? The, the style of making it. So Native American style flute has two pieces to it. Um, it has a separate block on top. Um, so a lot of other flutes, for example, like uh, a lot of people have probably seen uh, bamboo flutes. And you blow on the end of them, and you have to hit it perfectly with uh, the way you blow on the edge to create a sound. And the Native American style flute, you blow into it, but the air goes into the flute, and then it's it's forced along a track and hits the same kind of an edge to create a sound because of that separate block on top. 
And that is basically what makes it a Native American style flute. Um, there are other make or other cultures that do something very similar, but it's not a separate piece. It's all one flute, um, but it's the exact same uh, concept. Is it like two 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 pipes and then uh, one crossing the two pipes? Oh no, it's basically just one straight line, and then there's a on one end of it there's a, a separate small wooden piece. So it's basically one long tube. And then at the one end you have a flat, um, a flat portion, and then you have a separate small little wooden block that's just tied onto it with leather. Is it harder to learn how to make it or to play it? It's 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 both. It's it can be very uh, very tricky to learn how to make it because there's so much subtleties to if you widen this or deepen that or change up how you make the block. Like every little thing changes how the sound. Um, the clarity of the sound so it's really tricky to, to learn how to make it um, i'm still uh even now like refining sound with the different keys there's different um so the different um uh, size of the flute makes it deeper uh so the bigger ones are deeper the smaller ones are higher so even with those they don't they have a different style in the let's see how do i say it so there's a different style of making it play a clear sound as far as just like the, the length of the flute. So it's almost like relearning how to make a flute, each key that, that you learn how to make. Um, so as far as playing it, that's the easy part because you just have to make sure that all of the holes are completely covered and learn the scale, which is the pentatonic scale. So you only have five notes to learn, like unlike a piano where you have you know 88 different keys i believe so do you look at your first flute now and think it's it's like a piece of crap compared to the one you made the last the last one you made um you could kind of say that but you know it's really it's really fun to to learn how to make that first flute and to pick it up and see that it, you know it still plays it's definitely not as as well of uh as well of uh, tuning in that flute there's definitely some off notes in it but you know, it still is playable. So, you know, it was, it was a good attempt for my first try, but you can, it was night and day from like now till then, though, for sure. So how did you learn how to, yourself or did you have a teacher? Um, I, I kind of, I make a joke about it to a lot of people. I say, you know, I, I learned from this really, really sacred, you know, school, um, YouTube. <laughs> so basically I found some some different makers online and saw how they made it and tried to, you know, replicate what they were doing. And in the end I really just kind of, you know, took that and went from that and like really changed it to my own style. Um and I did a lot of research online and as far as learning. Cuz we you know we we met many years ago in Peru uh, doing ayahuasca and uh if someone somebody would have said, "Well, what do you think Dustin would do now?" I said, "I wouldn't think. Oh, he's gonna make flutes. You know, like, where where did that come from?" Totally. Um, so when we were there, I I stayed on for another couple months, and my last retreat, where there was a, a maestro who played flute, and I really liked it. Um, and so I've always had this like urge to learn how to how to play flute. But I never really, you know, dedicated myself to it. I bought a, a flute from another company and had it, but never really, you know, dedicated myself to it. 
and then when I moved to Hawaii and I started uh, you know working with medicine over there a friend of mine played flute and it just blew my mind and I was like wow I have to learn how to how to play this but a lot of things that I, I do I really want to learn how to bring it back to its roots and you know, the instrument that I would like would be the one that I know who made it. I know the intention behind it. And um, I really just wanted to have really good, you know, vibration about it. So I, I really just wanted to learn how to make it for myself. And I just, you know, went to Home Depot and got some tools and got some wood and just went for it, you know. I don't know if you, do you know who Room is? Uh, yeah, I do. Well, he has this poem where he talks about, you know, the beloved, which he, he talks about God, but he calls it the beloved, and that uh, the human spirit is always longing for uh, a unity with whatever is God or the divine mystery, and he he, he has this poem about the flute because he he says the especially the reed flute, but the flute, the sound of the flute, in it you can hear the longing for the divine for sure for sure you can hear a lot of um this calling within the flute for sure so it's very like uh harrowing in a positive way you know yeah and it's also like uh, i would say you know some some like expressions of of the flute some ways of playing it can be you know, a mourning or a calling or even like guiding to really clear spaces. So you can really direct people to all sorts of spaces with it. And for sure, there's a, an element of calling upon the creator or this longing for uh, creation, you know. Because certain, in I mean, all instruments can make great music, but, you know, a guitar can sound shallow or it can fit. If you play the guitar, you can play in such a way that it works as elevator music. But a flute, is, I think, is would not fit in an elevator. It would make people going in that elevator be thinking too deep, probably. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, so with the the Hawaiians, they you know they have the aloha, which is like um, hello, goodbye, but it's also love and it's many other things but a, a part of aloha is ha which means breath and so for your breath it's someone it's basically an extremely sacred part of life it's your first breath breath of life and it's the last thing you do before death is take the long exhale out um and everything about your breath can really keep you in a clear space or keep you disconnected if you can't breathe through your nose you know try and center yourself it's a lot more difficult to breathe through your mouth and center yourself so the hawaiians would say that the breath from your nose is actually more sacred than from your mouth because you cannot lie from it and so they and the uh, polynesians created a flute where you play it from your nose which i really really like and you know, as well as the breath from the mouth is just as sacred. And so you can really share your essence with people. What you play, you really can convey everything that you feel. Somebody else will feel it through your music. You're, sounds like you are a bit like me in your life where you do a lot of synergy. 
because like you live in Hawaii, you make Native American flutes. Native Americans are, are I mean, I consider them to be the mainland. The Hawaiians are a different. I guess they're Native American. I guess, I don't know. I don't, I never see Hawaii as as American. <laughs> it's like a different world. And then you do the work with uh, the ayahuasca and many other things. Like you mix it up. Oh, for sure. And I also I was working with permaculture and planting a lot of plants. I did a uh, food forestry on the island, and I still do some small gardening for myself. But I mostly moved towards flutes and. I, I feel that I definitely need a combination, a, a synergy, as you were saying, of just having everything in my life, everything I do, you know, keeps me centered and keeps me whole. So being with the plants, being with the earth, being in the ocean, playing music, creating instruments, it's just something that I try and keep myself well balanced in that. Can you make a living of this flute uh, business or is it just a uh, like, thing you do when you're not doing your normal job? Actually, I'm I'm moving to basically just do flutes, and it's been really good for the last couple of months. I've just been continually refining it, and now I've gotten to a point where you know I went to the music shop in in Maui where I live, and I brought in a few of my flutes, and they're like, "Wow, these are the best flutes we've ever seen brought in here." And I'm like, "Wow, that's thank you, that's awesome, that's really nice to hear," you know. And, I did a craft fair and people are like, yeah, I haven't really been called the flutes, but your flutes really called to me. I'm like, wow, that's, that's really awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. And I feel that it's something that really excites me. And I feel that if I continue with it, I keep continuing to do it in a good way that uh, it'll definitely provide for me um, as, as much as a full-time job would. Well, if they say that in a music shop, then they're ready to be you know, sold or... I mean, if they think it's good enough, then it, they, I mean, they should, they would know. <laughs> yeah, totally. I have a vague memory that you, did you go to like Himalaya or, or uh, India or something? Yeah, I went to India and Nepal for about three months and I traveled around there and I went to, um, just basically Dharamsala and did a 10 day meditation course and went and hiked the Annapurnas for a couple, three weeks. And then I went and did a yoga teacher training on the beach in Goa. So what, what was Nepal like? Cause I, I've been, I've always wanted, wanted to go there. It's very expansive and it's really, you know, it's really beautiful. Um, because it's the Himalayas. So it's just some really beautiful mountains all around you that are, you know, snow covered, even though that you, you can still be down in the jungle and see up to these really massive peaks, you know, it's, um, as well as a lot of the culture still there, you see like old women walking around carrying like incense trays and blessing up their space, even though, you know, they're in a little hotel, but they own it and they're still doing their traditions. They have all of their, uh, deities on the wall and their little altar space and, you know, you can go on the hike that we went to. We, our, our tour guides brought us up to this cave, and there was like an 80, 90 year old man up there who was just this Tibetan monk or Nepalese monk. And he just sat up there and just blessed anybody who came by. And it was, it was really interesting to experience that. Is it because I know, like, if you go to India and you want to find a teacher of some sort, you have to, there's like thousands of these like scam teachers and fake gurus there's and but there's also real ones and but you have to wade through a lot of the crap unless you're very lucky 
But how is Nepal? Is it less less like that, or is it the same kind of thing? Uh, I really, I'm not sure. I mean, because when I went to Nepal, it was basically for that trek. So I just went hiking with my partner. Um, I never really was searching for a guru or a teacher or anything along that lines. Oh, I asked because you, you said something about you were doing some course there. Oh, yeah. In India, I did a yoga teacher trainer. And um, for sure, you can... You know, a lot of people are just throwing out courses because, you know, Westerners will come and see that there's a yoga teacher training and, you know, they'll charge $2,000 and it's easy money. And But they've only been practicing yoga for a couple of years and are just starting and want to do that. So it's it's hard to find legitimate teachers and really humble and um, really nice people. But we, we found a really good um, group of people that we learned from and it was really nice. We had a couple yogis that were you know between like 30 and 40 and they were just kind of uh, they weren't the head teachers or anything they just shared from their their teachings and what they've been learning and what they've been doing and stuff and it was really interesting it's really good so you've been working with uh, ayahuasca or you started working with it i guess when you met me or what did you do anything before that yeah that was my first workshop with you um i was I've only I only ever tried mushrooms like maybe two or three times before that, so it was pretty mind uh, exploding, you could say. Have you tried mushrooms after you work with ayahuasca? Just a few times. Um, did you notice a difference in the way you use them, like before you did ayahuasca and after? Not so much because when I when I when I tried them before, um, I was in a really you know natural setting, kind of by myself, and it was wasn't a strong dose. I, I believe it was actually I, I might have done it just once before I went, so it was really nice, and it was it definitely like I could see how it altered the way I thought and things I could start seeing differently. Like the grass was geometric and the clouds are geometric, so it was interesting. But I mean, so I can't really I don't have really a, a the word a something to gauge it by i don't i don't know the if there's much of a difference so do you feel that ayahuasca has done a big change in your life because i always struggle struggle with this thing that well maybe i would have done this change anyway because by growing older you mature but then i also think that yeah but i think about it every day and sometimes when i do decisions i think about it and i maybe change my decision so it's without a doubt for me. It's influenced my life in, in many ways. But um, but how has it been for you? Um, it's been really interesting. Uh, when I first went down, you know, within three months, I drank 20, 20 times, um, and it just blew me away. I left, and I really didn't have very many thoughts for like three or four months, and then slowly my mind started going and going and going again after a while, and you know, that was about six years ago. So it's just been about six years of trying to figure out how to get back to that state. Cause it was so nice to just be in this state of not really thinking and just feeling everything, just, just going with the heart of like, if this felt good, I would do it. If this didn't feel good, I wouldn't do it. So, um, I talked to a friend of mine and she basically told me, yeah, the, the plant spirits kind of let me go in a, in a sense and I have to cultivate myself on my own so that 
basically it'll last longer. Otherwise, I'll just have to like dedicate my life to plant spirits so that I can stay in that state, if you know what I mean. Oh, so you mean that as soon as you came back from your first time in, in the Amazon, you went back to your old ways? Or did, it, or did you say that it came back after a while? Slowly. Um, like three or four months, I would slowly go back into old mental habits and patterns. But it definitely changed me in so many different ways that, that were permanent, in a sense. What what would you say your view is on 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 the spiritual side? I I know that you come from what I understood a, a Christian background or a family. Um, um, so what's your outlook on all that? Um, as far as like ayahuasca and its spiritual side, most Americans grew up in a Christian culture. I don't know how how intense your where you grew up was, but did that did you man did that fit with your ayahuasca experience or do you see them as two different things i would say it basically my life prior to um going down to peru and working with the the ayahuasca i was always never really um, a strong believer in christianity uh it just felt not like not perfect or not right to me um and afterwards after my experience what i kind of gained a sense of for myself was that the teachings in all religions that are for the highest good and and the most love and peace and happiness for humanity are all true and anything else beyond that is just basically a story um and that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter most of the other things. If it's made for, if it feels controlling or if it feels um, that there's something not, that's just all about love and all about peace and happiness, then it's just not true in a sense. That's what I basically gained from those experiences. Yeah, so I guess like a Disney movie can be as important as the Bible if, if it has a good message, you mean? Yeah, if you can basically hold on to that message and live by it. Like if you learn from the Disney movie about being grateful for things in your life, that's just as important as learning to be grateful for things in your life from a religion, you know? Yeah, to quote Rumi again, because he he had this phrase that I love that goes, there are many ways to kneel and kiss the ground. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's a there's a picture that my partner always likes to to share is there's a picture of I believe it's Jesus, Krishna, the Buddha, um, maybe somebody else, and they're all holding hands, and the the words on it just says we're all just uh, guiding each other home, and I really like that one. Yeah, and if you think about it, all all the different religions, you know, they talk about the creation and all that in different ways but if you think about it if if you pretend or if they are true all of them it still means that god existed before it was written you know <laughs> exactly exactly and that's the interesting thing of most i'm not sure if most religions but i know in christianity the like the first things that god did was you know um spoke and so first there was words and so first there was sound, um, which basically the essence of the universe is sound. And that's one of the reasons that 
I really enjoy working with music and especially in a, a ceremonial sense uh, with medicine. And you can really tap into leaving it all behind, leaving all thoughts, judgments, any programming from where, how you've been raised, grown up, kind of behind through sound and travel just in this what is in that moment. And that is the sound that is happening. And it's really a powerful way. Like every culture has some sort of sound that they would use shamanically, whether it would be like Tibetans using chimes and gongs and, and things of that sort, or, you know, cultures all around the world use the drum and a lot of different cultures around the world use the flute. So all of those things are something that I really enjoy to to make a part of my life in that way. Actually, the other day I was thinking, because I've been reading some books about near-death experiences, and, uh, you know, if there is an afterlife, I was thinking the other day, okay, yeah, people always talk about what it looks like, what it's going to be and that, but I was thinking, like, I wonder what the sound is in the afterlife. You know, what if there is a sound or and what it is. Exactly. So when you went to in when you were in India, did you have any, did you have any Hinduism experiences of any sort? Not so much with Hinduism, mostly Buddhist teachings. I did a ten-day meditation course on the teachings of the Buddha, and uh, it was in silence, and it was really it was really beautiful. It was really nice. I learned something recently off the sacred YouTube, as you said. That uh, because I, I I've always been very hyperactive and and I've always had trouble meditating, so I always felt like guilty that I don't really meditate as much. But then I was watching this Buddhist monk. He was talking that meditation doesn't have to be you sit still and empty your mind, and that you 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 can actually meditate when you are doing like gardening or walking or driving to work when you know when you zone out and you just suddenly realize oh i don't even remember driving to work i just arrived that's also a form of meditation and i realized i do that all the time but uh, so there's many ways to to meditate but do you have anything you do to to make it work for you um meditation is very interesting because i feel that it requires a state of discipline. Um, if you don't have discipline, you can sit down and say you're meditating for a half hour, but really if you're thinking the whole time, you're really just sitting down and thinking the whole time, and it's not really considered meditation. So I feel it's a guided sort of discipline um, with concentration. So what I do is I always, when I meditate, I meditate every morning and night for about 20 minutes, and I try and bring my mind back into uh, through discipline, through always like bringing it back to center. And I do that through breathing. And sometimes if it's a little bit more scattered in my mind through mantra at the same time. So as I breathe in, I can say, Oh, money, Pame home and breathe out and say, Oh, money, Pame home. And through the action of focusing on breath and doing something, it allows myself to, to quiet the mind in a sense or to, yeah, basically to quiet the mind in, in a way. And that's been something that's that's been really helpful for sure. I've always had like uh, a chattering monkey in my brain, as the Buddhists say, and uh, like thousands of thoughts 
and always like uh, ideas and then at the same time the question uh, uh, questioning those ideas and just like complete debate all the time in my brain and i noticed that when i started working with ayahuasca i it was really hard for me because i was thinking about it too much when i was in the experience and i le- learned over time and the, those um, ayahuasqueros helped me like to not think so much but so I imagine that if you're really skilled at meditating, I'm sure you, you could probably surf the ayahuasca wave easier. What, what do you think about that? Because you you are more skilled with meditation, I imagine, than me. Um. Yeah, I would say it's definitely a, like being present um, with the present moment, and for me, it's always through the breath. So when I lose focus on my breath with ayahuasca, my mind can, can run for sure until I remember the breath. And it's basically the same thing with meditation. Um, it's the same form. And I feel that ayahuasca is in, in a sense is like a hypersensitive focus on where you are in this moment, how centered, how clear you are. Um, so when you drink ayahuasca and it just amplifies the noise in your mind, you almost can't look away because you're present with whatever's happening. So you're so present with your mind just going. Um, and so for me, like sometimes when I'm the most present, when I drink ayahuasca, nothing will happen. Cause in a sense you're already trying to, you're already like where you are trying to get to in a way. So you know, some some things that I've learned or experienced is that each – I mean, ayahuasca is just one part of it. You also usually, unless you're drinking by yourself, have a maestro or maestra um, or somebody holding that space. And that space is usually sound, um, pretty much always sound. So – whoever is making the sound is guiding that space. And when I have, like when I was just back there a year ago, I sat with uh, probably, I don't know, like 10 different maestros and maestros. And each one that would sit in front of me would produce a different experience for me because of what they're bringing to the table in, in a sense of their presence, their cultivation. They would sing, it would bring something out of me that was in alignment with them as well so that's something also that's interesting to to realize and start knowing that like whoever you sit with really affects what happens in those spaces and so i've sat with groups with like 50 people and it's all these different westerners who have these different songs that they'll sing and they'll do it with good intention um but in a in sense, they, they're going there to try and heal themselves and they want to sing and they want to like calm their mind and stuff, but their mind's really going a lot. And then they play music and that, that um, space is what, uh, what they're bringing to the, to the ceremony is, is their thoughts, their mind going and they're, they're wanting to heal themselves in a sense. So it, it really affects everybody. And then some people, you know, are meditating, going to the ocean every day, really focusing on, on the prayer, like a prayer to spirit or a prayer to, to calm their mind. And then they sing and it's just like this wave of relaxation will come over you because they really have that cultivation. They have that presence about them. 
Um, and so I, I think that's with every single um, ceremony. It really matters who's holding that space for what happens internally. And also it's just, again, like a, it brings up wherever you're at as well. So it's like a combination of a lot of things. I don't know if you've had this experience, but uh, every, uh, all the three times I've been in the Amazon, every time there's always been a full moon at one point during a ceremony. And each of those times have always been more intense than the other ceremonies. And I know at home when I've had ceremonies that happen to be on the full moon, they're also more intense. Uh, have you had this experience? Um, I would say that it's a, it's a mix it can, and it can be, for me, it might actually be a little bit of the opposite. Um, because the darker it is, the more internal I go and the more things dis uh, distract me less because I can't see visually as, as easily, especially down in Peru, because when there's a new moon, it's just, you can't see anything and it's, it makes it so much more internal, I, I would say. Um, But I was I was just reading a book by Sandra Ingerman and Hank Wesselman, uh, Awakening to the Spirit World, and uh, Sandra Ingerman was saying how everybody is different. She was, you know, with some she was living with somebody else, and they were on the exact opposite ends of. During the new moon, they would become hyperactive and couldn't uh, couldn't settle down. Whereas she was, you know, somebody who just was lethargic during the new moon and didn't have as much energy. So. I think it really depends on also um, just your your relationship to the moon in in essence. Yeah, it could be that I I, I always suffer insomnia a few days before and during and after the full moon, so it might be some something with my brain. So, do you have any plans to go back to the Amazon in the near future? I don't believe so. Um, really, our last experience down in the Amazon really showed us that. Because we, we went and left uh, where we were living in, from Maui to go back down to the temple where we met um, to see if we wanted to live there. And it just didn't work. Uh, it didn't align with what we really wanted to do, which is, you know, eventually raise a family. And an ayahuasca retreat center is not the best place, I believe, to, to raise a child, especially one that's geared towards many 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 people coming through and there's not a separate space where people are you know wanting to do the exact same thing we are wanting to do so it just we really felt called to go back to hawaii uh, it's really a special place for us so we left and went back to maui it's just been really powerful to be back in maui and i, I don't see us going back anytime soon how is the situation these days for the indigenous i know they've been fighting for different rights and uh, and things like that you know from the beginning hawaii was a good military base for america and then it grew out of that from what i understand but you know the indigenous culture there is is i guess the same situation as the native americans on the mainland pretty much the same situation um except there's no reservations on in hawaii and you know hawaii is is many islands so you know there's five main islands and one of them has the military base but the other ones don't have any much really any of military activity so the one i live on doesn't have any military activity and there is i believe a, a fairly you know large 
um, community of Hawaiians that live around Maui um, just because it's so jungly and tropical and they're, they have a lot of uh, um, spaces to, to live there that Westerners don't necessarily want to try and live in. Like the, trying to go live and tame the jungle is not an easy adventure. Would you say like Americans on Hawaii are a different breed than the rest of the country? Yes, absolutely. Um, because from my understanding, uh, if you know anything about like Atlantis and Lemuria, that Hawaii is considered to be the, the remnants of Lemuria. And the vibe of living on a volcano in the middle of the ocean, you know, 2,500 miles away from the U.S. and I think further from other larger bodies of land it's just such a, a powerful place to be in the middle smack dab of the largest ocean on, on the planet so and it's also just you know the hawaiian culture in general before that too had a really powerful way of living so it's it has uh, a lot of remnants throughout all of the people who live there are really um pretty heart-centered and a lot different than a lot of different people i've met on uh in different places in the world. But I mean, it doesn't mean that there's not those people elsewhere in the world. It just seems to be people like that tend to go to Hawaii as well. So there seems to be a lot of people living there who have that sense of cultivation. Because if you live in California, I mean, there's always the risk of that big earthquake that's going to destroy everything. But you, you still, you know, you got Mexico, you got Arizona, you, 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 you know. But on Hawaii, if there's a eruption that's really big, you know, you basically screwed. Is that somewhere in the back of everybody's mind? Um, not so much a big eruption because it's a different type of volcano. It's not one that's dormant and just waiting to explode. It's um, like the, the only island that is active right now is Big Island. And Big Island is continually flowing. So there's no pressure building up. And the only thing about on Big Island is there is... Uh, lava zones so a lot of people are buying land in different areas on big island that could possibly have lava flow through and take out their land and they have no insurance on that so it'd be really devastating for many people but for the most part uh, that's the only situation where people are worried about lava at all so i was thinking that you were going to give us an example of what uh, your flutes sound like so do you play like uh, just do you jam or do you play songs you've made or how does it work? Basically, I play uh, from the heart. So every like everything I play doesn't uh, originate from any song that I've memorized or anything. I just play um, from what I've kind of cultivated how I play and whatever in the moment comes out of me. And yeah, for sure, I can definitely play something. So I have three different... Uh, keys that I have right now um, and I, I basically I make uh, different keys of flutes and the different keys just means the different um, so like for example I'll play the first one this is a uh, key of C and it's a higher pitched flute and so the level of uh, like how high it is it goes from say C to B, A, G, F, and as I keep going um, down, it keeps getting lower in, in pitch. So from uh, from G to F, F sharp, 
to or F sharp to F and then E D, you know, just down the the alphabet. But the basically the main Native American style flutes that are in the mainstream are around the range of the key of A, and then it goes from that and it goes down to the key of low B. And those are the main ones that most people make. And that's basically what I make. Um, and I've the ones that I've refined enough to feel confident enough to give to somebody. So this is the key of C. It's the highest one that I've I've made and it's a double flute. So you can play it as uh, one flute or you can play the drone on the other side, which is just basically another flute attached to the main flute that you play that plays the lowest note of the main flute that I'll be playing. So I'll, I'll give it a, uh, I'll play a little song here. So that's the, the key of C, and it's, uh, it's also made out of cedar wood. It sounds very nice. I don't know if you know, have you ever watched any Akira Kurosawa films? I haven't. I don't, I don't believe so. No, it's like Japanese um, uh, samurai films. And he usually, he's, the music in his films are often a flute, and uh, that you just played just reminded me of the, the sound. Maybe it's the same kind of flute, I don't know, but it... It reminded me of that. If you watch, uh, I'm sure you know Seven Samurai. It's a famous movie. Uh, uh, they have this flute. It has this sound. But it sounds great. It's like uh, contemplative, the sound, you know. Totally. Um, and basically, you know, there's so many different types of flutes. And it's flutes can remind you probably if it's a similar key and it's probably if it's a samurai movie it's probably a japanese flute um, and they make a few different styles and usually out of bamboo so it's probably something very similar to that do you have like a a, a website or anything if people hear this and they go like i want a flute i do sell my flutes on etsy and my shop name is elemental flutes and i also have a facebook um, which is Elemental Flutes, and Instagram, which is, I believe, Elemental underscore Flutes, or else Elemental Flutes, I can't remember at the moment. And basically what I've been doing is I've made, because um, I, I use a lot of Hawaiian woods. I use mango, monkey pod, koa, um, and the bamboo as well. I've also used tropical camphor, which is amazing. And... Um, they're really, I've really refined them and like feel really, really good about them. I make double flutes and single flutes as well. Uh, if like people listen in other countries, you can 
ship them anywhere. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It'll be a little bit more for shipping probably, but um, yes. Like I just shipped one to Canada and I just shipped one down to Peru or to uh, Brazil as well. So, um, yeah, so uh, thanks a lot for being on the podcast and maybe we can finish with a, a little uh, uh, melody is a good closure if if you don't mind for sure i have a i have a mango flute here in the key of d so it's a lot deeper that's good finish deep <laughs> and thank you so much for having me here on the on the podcast freedom is in the mind mm-hmm.